Scripture reading comes from the book of John, chapter 4, verses 7 through 15, continuing the story that we have been hearing each week. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will come in them as spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I would just like to take a moment before I begin to thank you all for allowing me to do this. This is such a joy to be in a different space and to worship with all of you this morning. Let us pray. Gracious and holy God, may the words from my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Last week, during our shared Lenten series, we left Jesus at Jacob's well, and we heard about the tragic and violent history of that place. And in today's scripture, we open with a Samaritan woman approaching that same well. Now, all things considered, this woman probably wasn't that happy to see Jesus at the well that day. First, she is a woman traveling alone in a deserted place, so she'd likely be a little apprehensive about a strange man. The scripture also implies that this woman very quickly noticed that Jesus was Jewish. And at this point in history, the Jews and the Samaritans had been enemies for years. In fact, it is surprising that Jesus, a Jewish man, was in Samaria at all. At this point in the story, Jesus is heading back home to Galilee from Judea, and the region of Samaria is in the middle of those two places. However, during Jesus' day, most Jewish folks would have traveled around Samaria to get to Galilee because they wanted to avoid the Samaritans. They would have taken the long way around. That is how much these two groups hated each other. Beyond all of this, however, I would reckon that this woman would have been unhappy to see just about anyone at the well that day. Based on what we know about the ancient world, this nearby village where she lived almost certainly had its own well in the city. So she's going far out of her way to complete this daily task. And in addition, most people would have gotten up early to fill their buckets to avoid the midday heat. The only reason you'd go this far out of the way during the middle of the day would be to be alone, to not be noticed or seen by anyone. 
And as the story continues, we learn that this woman has been married five times, and the man that she lives with is not her husband. For most of church history, preachers and scholars have portrayed her as an adulterous, wicked woman in a dire situation because of her unfaithfulness. But I think that it's probably more likely that in reality, this woman had been widowed over and over and over again. But regardless of the reason that this woman had been married so many times, we can be sure that the people of the village whispered about her, talked about her behind her back. Surely there were people who sneered at her, told her she was cursed by God because of her situation. And so perhaps this out-of-the-way journey to the well was a bit of reprieve. It was a chance for her to find something that she couldn't get behind the city walls. It's an opportunity for her to experience a small bit of silence amid all of the shame. The noise that told her that she was not enough. All of the voices telling her that she was beyond the care of God. But instead of silence... She meets Jesus, and you can almost hear her exasperated sigh as she sees him in the distance. And so she approaches this well, and Jesus immediately asks for a drink. But she says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a Samaritan? But Jesus says, if you knew who was asking you for a drink, you would have asked him to give you a drink. He would have given you living water. And of course, she's a little skeptical. How could Jesus get any water out of the well without a bucket? Who does this guy think he is? But Jesus tells her that whoever drinks of the water that he has will never be thirsty. The water that Jesus has is a spring that leads to eternal life. And now he's got her attention. This past week, My church's Bible study looked at this scripture passage, and one of my parishioners said, you know, Jesus is sort of a marketing expert. He is an excellent communicator. He knows exactly how to tailor his message so that people will understand it. And that's true. Jesus is a really compelling storyteller. He is a good communicator. One of the first rules of communication is know your audience, and Jesus does that exceedingly well. That's why Jesus talks so much about the ordinary stuff of the ancient world, water, bread, and wine, seeds, and lilies of the fields. He knows his audience. But I had to really think more about this idea of Jesus as a marketer or as Jesus as a salesperson. You see, I'm a bit dubious of salespeople because I am a sucker. I am one of those people who is extremely susceptible to good marketing or a good sales pitch. I'm especially bad about this online. Every time I open my phone, I fall prey to some product, some idea, some item that will turn me into the person that I've always wanted to be. I find some sort of product I never knew I needed, some life hack that will get me to actually eat my vegetables, I find some outfit that will fix all of my fashion fiascos. I cannot look at photos of my godson on social media or find a recipe for salad dressing without being sold some promise for a better life. And ultimately what bothers me about all of this advertising and marketing that we find ourselves inundated with is that I feel that so much of it highlights my lack 
It highlights the gaps between who I am and who I would like to be, this ideal version of myself. And this ideal version of me is really hard to live up to. I remember when I first started to explore a call to ministry, I was very anxious about not living up to this ideal version of myself. I was worried that somewhere along the line, someone would find me out. I was worried that the Board of Ordained Ministry would finally discover that I am, in fact, a flawed person who has no right to pastor a church, and one day the ruse would be up. But I also remember around that time telling myself that I had three years of seminary to get through, and that those three years would probably be enough time to become this ideal me. And I wasn't even sure entirely of what that ideal version of myself was, but I had a rough idea. I figured a better version of me probably read more, ate better food, always got 10,000 steps in, never swore, budgeted perfectly, and never, ever used certain hand gestures on the highway. And lo and behold, I am not that person. And I don't know if I will ever be that person, but still I am inundated with the promises of this better life, the more stuff that can get me there. Every day I am tempted by this ideal version of myself that I know deep down is impossible to attain. Deep down I know that there is no amount of face cream and gym memberships and book reading to get me to this version of me that I want so badly. I know that what I am purchasing is just the same old ordinary water in the well. Water that satisfies for only a time before you are thirsty again. Water that works for a little bit before you realize that your problems haven't all just disappeared. Still, it's hard to not live up to an ideal. It's hard to face the gap of who we are and who we'd like to be, or at least who the world thinks we should be. I suspect that the woman of the well felt this. I suspect that she felt burdened by her own gaps, burdened by the ways that the world shamed her and deemed her unworthy, not enough. And maybe that is why she is so quick to ask for this living water that Jesus has, this living water that leads to eternal life. It doesn't take her long in this conversation to realize that Jesus has something of value, that Jesus has something that might actually finally be the balm that she is searching for, something that might finally bind up her wounds. But what Jesus has for her is not a product not a 12-step system. It is unlike all of the stuff of the world. The living water that Jesus offers is priceless. It cannot be bought. It cannot be sold. It is only a gift. And this living water doesn't make us into these ideal versions of ourselves or the world's ideas of who we should be. This living water is not a hollow promise of betterment and self-improvement. There's no gimmick no money-back guarantee, no rewards program, no try before you buy, no wait list, no limited edition version, no fees, no membership dues. Instead, Jesus just loves us where we are. 
and offers us this gift of living water, eternal life, lived in the unending presence of the God that loved us into being. And the ordinary water, the stuff of the world, it always begins with shame. Advertising and marketing often works because it holds up a mirror to our shame and to our lack But the living water that Jesus offers us always begins with grace. You'll notice that Jesus doesn't dig deep into the Samaritan woman's past. He doesn't assign blame. Instead, Jesus just sees her for who she is and all that she is, and he loves her. And that is why the living water actually satisfies. Because the only thing that can actually satisfy us, the only thing that can actually patch up our broken parts and make us whole, the only thing that can actually change us for the better is the grace of God, the living water that Jesus offers us without price. And the living water, it changes us, it transforms us, but it doesn't magically make us into these idealized versions of ourselves or the versions of ourselves that we should be according to the world, the living water that Jesus offers, the grace that Jesus gives us, transforms us precisely because it is a gift. It changes us because we cannot earn it. We cannot buy it. We can only accept it. And when we accept living water, the shame and the feelings of not being enough that bring us to the wells of the world slowly begin to lose their hold. When we realize that Jesus loves us and offers us living water no matter who we are, where we are, it gets easier to quiet the voices in our heads that tell us that we are not enough. Living without this kind of shame is transformative. Accepting the living water that Jesus provides us brings us closer to the people that God has called us to be. And the people that God has called us to be are not the hotter, thinner, richer, smarter versions of ourselves. Instead, God calls us to be a hope-filled, justice-seeking, radically loving people. And though we might falter on that journey, though we may not always live into God's call to love as fully as we should, we can always rest assured that we have access to living water, to a spring of love and mercy and grace that sustains and satisfies unlike anything the world can give us. When the Samaritan woman first approached that well 2,000 years ago, she was hiding It was shame that brought her to the desert that day. But what she found was living water. Living water that allowed her to trade that shame for love and joy and connection. And this living water gives her an instant transformation. She is no longer just some outcast, some broken-hearted person. She becomes an evangelist, one of the the very first preachers of the good news of Jesus Christ. And she leaves behind her water bucket and everything else that is holding her down. And she generously and openly shares this gift of living water with her community. 
And that is what we are doing this Lenten season, church. This is our job this Lenten season, our, rep- our support of water ministries, both locally and globally, is one of the small ways that we share the good news, this living water that we have received in Christ. And we share this living water not because it is a product that fixes all of our problems or because it magically turns us into these ideal versions of ourselves that we keep in our heads. Rather, we share living water because we know its value. We know its pricelessness. We share this living water because we know it is a gift of grace. And we share living water because we know that the love of God is the only thing that will allow us to transform ourselves and our world. May it be so. Amen.